Hey everyone, welcome back to Ferocious Compassion. Today's episode features Jessica Snow. Jessica is a meditative storyteller and energetic alchemist. She's consistently at the fore of the mystical zeitgeist. People have pressed play on her meditations and podcasts over 92,000 times. Since 2011, Jessica's bright imagination, inclusive nature, and magical voice have made her a sought-out and beloved meditation guide in her hometown of Los Angeles. Today, Jessica is a leader in the guided meditation movement and an authentic voice of the new, new age. She creates and leads inventive mystical experiences that are as profound as they are pleasurable. Beneficial for both the first-timer and the experienced meditator, her narratives are powerful original myths and fairy tales filled with symbolism. By placing the participant at the center of each journey with her signature spoonful of sugar approach, she creates the gateway to mystical experiences. Since starting Crystal Meditations with Spellbound Sky in 2012, she's guided hundreds of events with many thousands of people, written three books, created an expansive hypersignal of digital content, and witnessed an extraordinary amount of magic. Jessica's main aim is always the same, to reconnect you with your own magic. Let's begin. Welcome, Jessica Snow. I am so glad that you are here with me today on Ferocious Compassion. It's literally my pleasure to be with you here today. I'm so excited to talk with you and uh, yeah, grateful to be here. It's just one of those moments in my podcasting history really so far where I have just felt so excited about this particular interview because I feel like you have taught me so many things about being present, about sitting with discomfort. And also there's an element of your work that is so magical, that is so imbued in nature. And I wanna get into that as we get deeper into the interview, but I really wanna start by saying and just asking you a little bit about, you can tell us a little bit about where you live and a little bit about your background. Uh, yes, I live in a beautiful Burbank, California, in Southern California. I was born and raised here in Los Angeles. I'm actually a third generation Angelino. So my grandfather was born in Los Angeles in the late 1890s. And both my parents grew up here. So I know people always say that Los Angeles is full of people who are transplants, but I am literally a native of Los Angeles and I love the city deeply. And I love being on the west of the west, if that makes sense. Um, Can you explain uh, that? But yes, like, so I, in my, I love California and I love Los Angeles. I've also lived in Northern California for a few years. And I just feel like, I, I feel fortunate that I was raised here because I had a lot of freedom in terms of exploring a lot of um, mystical and spiritual things. And also what I love about California is that it's like the Western edge of the world in a way, especially in terms of culture, new ideas, innovation, um, the future. Um, I feel like really fortunate and that I, my soul needs to be in a place that is looking forward and innovating and where creativity is a high ideal and valued. Um, so that's why I call it like the West of the West. What a great explanation, thank you. Yeah. Um, what was the other question? So where do I live? I live in Burbank and I'm from here. And yeah. I was really lucky growing up because I had a lot of freedom to, and not a lot of dogma around mystical and spiritual things. So that's interesting. So can you share with us a little bit about like your early spiritual influences and what you learned about compassion growing up? Uh, yes, I, uh, for me, um, the natural world is a major teacher. Growing up, I think I'm innately even could be considered overly compassionate at times or have my compassion out of balance, which is why I love that you pair the word ferocious, right? 
with compassion. So this is a wonderful, um, rich, fertile area to start, you know, exploring. Um, I love those two words together. Um, so my work actually, personally, um, has been as I've grown up, when I was little, I was so empathetic, I could hear what everyone else wanted without them saying it louder than I could hear what I wanted. And one of the great gifts of my practices and also my personal maturation, right, having experience and getting older has been um, more around this idea of that if I do good boundaries, then I can have wild freedom within. And if I do good boundaries, I can be really generous and really helpful for people. And if I do good boundaries, um, I can allow myself to feel many more things um, because I'm doing that. I'm kind of, you know, putting the banks of the river um, and shoring those up. Does that make sense? It you so does. Yeah. I, you are a teacher for empaths. Yes. Even though I, I, that highly sensitive people and empaths are, I, 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 I probably am, but I don't bill myself as such, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I, I think that it can be a little bit of a trap in modern, like new ageness to be like, I'm an empath or I'm highly sensitive and there's nothing I can do about it. And this is where I want to play with that a little bit. It's like, yeah, I'm highly empathetic, highly, I'm highly sensitive. And also I have developed a skill set of building structures and containers and boundaries for things that then allow that gift of the empathy to not be a weakness or not to be perceived as something that is going to be harmful to me, but actually reframes it as a superpower. Beautiful. That teaching on boundaries combined with your high empathy is so familiar to me. Mm -hmm. As one who's led so many retreats and really had to work with the energy of many different personalities, many different um, challenges that will come up with being with different personalities and then myself being extremely sensitive and um, you know, empathetic. There's always a need for figuring out how to work in the field of boundaries, but also in the field of love. Absolutely, and that, that is something that I didn't realize really till I was in my 30s. When I was in my 20s, especially, I thought that like being a good person, being a loving person means I unzip myself and have at it world. And um, really in my 30s, I'm now in my 40s, but really understanding that actually like um, my husband calls it tweaking the dials. And what he means is, oh, she's letting a little bit more of this energy in. She's cutting that off a little bit. And it's a, it's a mutable, fluid process. And the most important thing I'd like to say, if anyone out there feels like they are very empathetic or they're very sensitive, is that I just want you to know that you can sit behind the control panel and tweak the dials too. You can turn things up and you can dial things down. And at different points in your life and on different days, even in this time that we're living in right now, 2020, each day is its own landscape that requires its own setting of the dials. But you can be the one who does it. You you do not need to be trampled over by others or life itself or whatever. You can still retain your sensitivity. You can still retain your ability to really feel into things and feel into a room and feel into people. If you have these other kind of, if you have this consciousness of yourself as one who I can dial that up and open that door a little bit more. Oh no, no, it feels more now. I'm going to close that for a little while and I can open it again later. Such a profound message, especially for people who work in this sort of stratosphere that, you know, there's a, there's a depletion that happens. Yeah. And, you know, I love the, the, the idea of, of, of witness consciousness. So that's like more of a Buddhist idea, but you don't have to be Buddhist to understand it. All it is, is that I'm watching the flow of the, the events of my life happening, but I'm, I'm, not caught up in the torrent. I'm a, I have a little space. And when we have a little space and we have that witness 
awareness, that kind of two-pointed consciousness, the witness is the one who can kind of tweak the dials, almost like I'm watching a movie of my own life. And it's like, oh, now the heroine needs to be a little tougher. Oh, now the heroine needs to actually let down the armor and the guard that she's put up, you know, and having that kind of, uh, yeah, that sense of there's a part of my consciousness that's watching my life like it's a game or a movie or even a video game where things can be enhanced and also, um, you know, drawn back. How did you formulate your ideas on this? I mean, what were your earliest influences? So um, when I was young, I was always like, when I was little, I loved to read, I loved to read mythology and fairy tales. I loved fantasy realms. I loved um, stories where there was a metaphor at play. Um, and a lot of fairy tales obviously are that. Um, so that was probably my earliest little girl influence. And then I just have always been a seeker. I loved to go to, when I was a teen, and in my 20s, go to a bookstore and kind of have that experience where a book falls off the shelf and it's like, you know, the perfect book for you at this moment. So a lot of my stuff comes through reading. And then when I was in my 20s, that's when I really earnestly started to explore meditation a little bit, like kind of giving myself permission to look at meditation, not in the way that society looks at it or that, you know, um, certain traditions look at it, but really giving myself the freedom to meditate and explore within my meditations. And that's where I met with some of my helpers who are my helpers and guides to this day. Um, and so, yeah, so it became, it went probably from books, right? And stories, and then into more of an, ex, like a direct experience with, within the, the, my inner realms. Talk to, let, let's talk a little bit about your helpers and guides and how you really kind of sunk into your gifts as a teacher. So it comes from my helpers and guides. When I write meditations, I meditate first. I kind of have a sense of, oh, I want to do this kind of meditation or that. I meditate, I'm given some things to work with, and then I come out of meditation and I write. And then obviously I record or deliver it live. But even for me to accept the identity of teacher has not come until really the last four or five years, because at the core and heart of my style of meditation and work is that actually anything you, Jane, you find in one of my meditations was already in you. All I am really is like a door opener or at best like a bus driver right? It's like, I've already been to this place, get in the bus, I'll drive you there. You can pay attention to other things on the way and you'll for sure get there, right? So that's yeah. what guided meditation is to me. Um, I lost my train of thought a little bit. What, what was it? Oh, the VIPs. Let's talk about yes. that. Yes. Right. Because you talked about how you get your information. Yes. So um, I call them VIPs. Um, so, which is kind of like a tongue in cheek, funny way of thinking about it because they're so much bigger than that. Um, but it's the best way you can describe any helper, guide, teacher, any part of yourself that becomes a character or personified um, as you're working with them magically in contemplation. Um, I found my main one in a time when I was really, I was doing a lot of shamanic journeying as a student, you know, I was really going deep and high. Sometimes other guides and teachers have come through unbidden, but a lot of times my main guide acts as an intermediary for me. It's like, oh, go here. Oh, I'm bringing this individual. Oh, this. So she's like my main touch point and, and she often will um, point me to like, that's not my area, but you should go over here and, and work over here. And I believe that everybody has these VIPs. Everybody can gain access to them very easily. Um, I don't think you need an intermediary, um, but I do like the way that guided meditation, instead of it taking you four years, it could take you 20 minutes. So yay for technology. <laughs> well, and you have such a unique story that you tell within the stories that you tell 
as a meditative storyteller. (laughs) And so it's almost like a person is being transported into a different place in time. And, And that's, I think one of the things I love about mythology and fairy tales is that everything means something, even the Bible, right? It's, it's all, it, it is symbolic language. And I think our subconscious, our unconscious and the superconscious, I think they work really well um, outside the constraint of the logical analytical thinking brain that does so much for us in regular life. Like let's, I am, I am a meditation teacher and I can't stand it when people say they can't meditate because they can't stop thinking. It's like, I'm a meditation teacher and I'm saying, I want your brain to keep thinking. I just want you to have that little bit of space so you can be in that witness, so you can be in the control chair, right? Um, I feel like every single person, every single person has access to helpers and where our helpers exist, there's no time, there's no shame, there's no judgment. Your helpers don't care if you wait until you're 99 and then go see them for the first time. They don't care if you never come see them. That's not their vibe. It is not a Santa Claus, if you're good, I give you this. And if you're bad, I give you that. It's, it's so much bigger and more expansive than that. And I hope that everyone who's listening like avails themselves of experiences with these inner resources. For, you know, it's, it's hard to put, to articulate exactly what they are, but everybody has them and you can go see them and they are beyond generous and they love you beyond unconditionally and whatever is happening in daily life, they, in my own life and in the lives of many people, you know, who have used the meditations and come to class, like I've seen, I've seen highly magical, life-changing interactions that have literally been in within five minutes something changes profoundly I believe that about what you do and based on that one experience I had with you where we journeyed into a different realm can you can you bring us into what it's like to actually be at one of your outdoor meditations in a non-pandemic yes (laughs) yes it's um they're always about an hour long Um, I do lots of uh, crystal meditation, meditations for new moons, full moons. I do stuff in nature. So we'll either go up into the park or out to the beach. Um, And basically it's an hour. And believe it or not, I'm talking almost the entire time. And believe it or not, for the majority of people, that's not annoying. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) so, so, uh, Basically, um, if you think about um, a traditional mindfulness meditation where you're following the breath, um, with guided meditation, you're following the sound of the voice. And my voice in my style of meditation is telling you a story or taking you on a journey. And um, from there, anything can happen. Um, What I love is at the end of a live meditation, you know, everyone comes up. I've said the same set of words to say 50 people there, right? So I've said one set of words. The variety and deep symbolic beauty of what, of how different each person's inner experience was, it just highlights for me how fascinating and layered and beautiful each human being, human beings that you just walk by on the street, you wouldn't even look at twice if they told you their inner story. I mean, it just makes you want to cry. We're all magical. We're all layered. And we all have resources inside us that our logical analytical mind is not able to perceive so when we do do a live event it is an hour long so we have some time to calm down that logical analytical part of ourselves and not stop it from doing anything but ask it to get in the back seat it can keep doing its thing and we're going to invite some bigger more expansive um, energies in that have some fresh perspective for us. It's really specific to our lived experience. This is, in my opinion, one of the better ways to get into a meditative state. I've known for a long time as a meditation teacher that if you tell someone, just sit down, relax, breathe, be quiet. It <laughs> for makes most people that really doesn't work that well. Yes. The beauty of 
the way that you're teaching is that you're basically it's it's almost like spoken word like you're taking people on a journey mm-hmm. and you're giving them permission to get out of their own way but not necessarily to get out of their mind right i mean we i love the mind ergo i i love my all the things my nice big brain does for me and also we happen to live in a society where we are out of balance so the logic the analysis the control all of that is out of balance it's ultra weighted in that direction and our opportunities to kind of go in and release and relax and let things go that need to be let go and float about for a moment until the new idea, the divine idea can come in. We need to actively create more space for that receptive and also very healing mode of being to balance out this overemphasis on um, this really almost like hyperactive, especially now like level of obsession, anxiety, all of that. So we, we again, it's, it's tweaking the dials. It's our theme today is tweak the dials. Do you, do you see that as, I know a lot of people are talking now about how there's this sort of over-masculine society that's charging ahead and then the imbalance is that there's too much masculine, not enough feminine. And how yeah. do we balance those two? Or do you, how do you look at those things? You know, I do, I know what people are saying with that. Um, personally, my personal opinion is that collectively women have done a better job of adopting masculine traits, abilities, and characteristics. And men have not done as good of a job of adopting you know, more feminine or or female. And this is not about gender. I mean, in each person, we have masculine and feminine. And so I do think that, you know, there is a a harmonizing and rebalancing that actually I believe is already happening. I mean, if you look at like Me Too and you look at the discussions that we're having now and the kind of um, let's make, I am another you, let's make things good for everybody. Those are more feminine values. I think, I think it, we are in the midst of this transition and this balancing. Um, and I think we're gonna end up with a more beautiful and healthy and whole world because, because of it. But yeah, I do feel like even with all of the, um, you know, the, the, the stress right now, and stress is natural and normal. The natural stress cycle is stress, tension, release, relaxation. Right now we're just doing stress, tension, stress, tension, stress, tension. So that release and relaxation portion is what I would consider the feminine, right? The waves come in, the waves go out, and that needs a lot of attention from us. So that is, I love this, this teaching of yours, I think I've read this in one of your books. Mm-hmm. Can you can you explain that again, that cycle? Yes, so stress is just like normal stuff. Like even foods we eat or exercise causes some level of stress to our body. Nature experiences stress as well. So stress is natural. Again, like the brain, it's not bad. Like thinking, it's not bad, right? But we want these things to be in balance. So a natural stress cycle is stress. There's your stimulus the body reacts tension, and then there's a moment of release, and then there's some relaxation, which is our healing time. What we have right now is this compounding allostatic stress load. So it's a little bit of stress compounding, just like compounding interest on all the other stress from all the other days that you haven't released and relaxed, right? So it just goes stress, tension, stress, tension, stress, stress, tension. It's almost like just taking inhales and never exhaling or the water, the waves always rolling in and never rolling out. So we need to have both. It's almost like kind of beautiful to think of it as a dance, right? Okay, yeah, today was intense, blah, blah, blah. I think what I'll do, right, is I'll go garden or I'll make like a really thoughtful, a consciously cooked dinner or I'll take a salt bath or I'll just lay down and cover my eyes. I mean. 
there's in, in this year, one of my funniest things that just kind of came to me is like, sometimes I just lay down on the floor and cover my eyes for five minutes. Like just, you know, and it's not even like I'm actively doing some ritual or making magic of any, you know, high order. I'm just giving my nervous system a chance to defuse, right. To like, let it go. Does that make sense? How I've described it. It, it does. And it, it also reminds me of the way that you connect with nature in your teachings. And I remember I was listening to one of your meditations once and you basically just gave me permission to lay down on the ground and just close my eyes and relax. And that, that might seem really simple, but it was the way that you, the way, the tone in your voice, the way that you described doing it is something so simple. And I'm, I wonder if you could share with us how you are so influenced by nature in such a beautiful way. I always have been. So I've always been more comfortable outside than in a building. Does that make sense? And I like to live in places where the trees are taller than the buildings. So these were, you know, I just, I'm that way. If I'm upset, I will run to the sea or I'll run to a tree. I'll, I'll, that, that is just been in me since the jump. Um, and also that add to that, that every single time me or anyone who's with me goes to nature, we are consistently rewarded. The reward is instant, profound, and beautiful, and graceful, and perfectly applied to whatever we're asking about. Who would not want to avail themselves of that love and power? I don't know. And there's also, going back to my love of symbols and metaphor, you can walk outside right now and pick up one rock and bring it back into your house and sit with that rock and that rock is going to help you. There's going to be something about the way it looks that triggers an insight. There's going to be something about the color of it that helps you remember something. I mean, it, it is just, it's almost like sometimes um, when we would go to the ocean and do these ocean meditations, um, I used to joke that like, the ocean, the beach does most of the work. <laughs> My work was getting you to park your car and come here. And then the rest of it, like, I mean, yeah, I'm doing the meditation, but it's just, it's the air on the skin. It's the sun. It's the heat of the sand. It's the noise of the ocean. It's the smell of the salt. Like all those things support us. You know, human beings, we are mammals and mammals are animals and animals are a part of nature. We are a part of nature, even though we, we tend, our logical brain likes to try to separate us and think that we're not. But you can, anyone can plug themselves into nature um, at any point in time. And everything that I offer, when you say like, oh, laying down on the ground and permission to do that, so simple. It is so simple. Like many of the things that I recommend are so simple. Um, that's because really this kind of stuff is freely available to everybody and you don't need an intermediary. And even with people who are, you know, members of like the, the streaming area of my site where you can listen to all the meditations, my dream for everybody in there is that you listen to enough of these, you develop your own relationships with your own VIPs, right? Your own inner helpers, you develop your own inner cosmology. So you know, okay, if I'm upset, I meditate and I can go to this spot and get it out, or I need information. So I go over here in my meditation and I get information. I want you to become so imbued with your own practice that you piece together from my work, from other people's work, from anything, from your experiences in nature, and you then become your own Jessica Snow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like such an important message to- But don't you think that's true? Absolutely. And to remember and realize who we really are, what our inherent nature is. It is, and and the only it's there's um I don't know if you know Anadea Judith she's written a lot about chakras but she talks about enlightenment as a process of undoing rather than doing, and what she's talking about is that love and enlightenment and help and healing and power and wisdom and all these beautiful things are constantly streaming down on you, but we erect these little roofs. 
So let's just take away some of this roof. And I would think of that as a logical mind. Like this is okay for me. I can't have this. I do like this. I don't like that. You know, let's, you know, make a skylight in there. Let's make a sunroof there. Maybe even make a convertible, you know, like let's open that up. And what is already beaming down on you can get to you. So you can feel it. It's so beautiful. And I, I can't help but thinking that right now, when we're living in a pandemic, this is such, uh, you know, when you said it's available. I mean, nature is just available to people. It is. And I always say, if you live in the biggest city, you know what the best part of nature that's always available to you is the sky. You can go to a window. And even if you're stuck inside, you can go to a window and you can look out into the sky. And we are living in a highly stressful, very chaotic time. But I would just like to drop a seed, to plant a seed in, in everyone's awareness that it is possible that we will look back on 2020 as a miraculous time, a time where things stopped enough for us all to kind of go to our rooms and reset our values and decide, yes, I really care about this and no, I really don't care about that. This, we may look back on this time. You may see 2020 as a pivotal year, individually and collectively, where things that were very surprising that we never thought could happen. Who would have thought the whole world would stop and would stop because of this in this way? And also there has been a lot of pain and shadow stuff under the table. And now, not all of it, but a lot of it is on the table. And I am a person that I'd rather have that pain and grief and things that need to be healed on the table where I can start to work with it than running my life from under the table. You're right. We've taken everything out of shadow and put it right out in the light for the world to see. Which is disturbing, right? We're disturbed, right? And I mean that in the best possible way. And also now people like you and me people like your listeners we can there's going to be many years of healing right so there's the incident which is 2020 let's say that it's going to evoke a great collective and individual desire for healing which i think you and i could agree is exactly what humanity big picture needs what do you see as just the most common obstacles that people face when they really look into their own personal healing path? You know, I think for each person, it's different. I think some common obstacles might, the number one that is coming to mind is resistance. And this is how I'll explain my version of resistance. So right, let's say I'm coming up I'm creating a spiritual breakthrough or opening for myself. Something that I can see and I can feel is going to benefit me. How humans are designed is that our ego is like, well, that might be better, but at least I already know what this is like. And as the ego, I really prefer things that are already running in the neural groove that I know. I don't love change. And what if we get there and yeah, it's great, but then it arouses some new thing I have to adjust to. And so then the ego will call in its buddy resistance to reduce your commitment to creating space for this work to happen. And that can happen all different kinds of ways. Um, does that make sense how I'm, so yeah, it's resistance comes in many, many forms, <laughs> many, many forms. But I will say that for most people in my experience, and I've meditated with thousands and thousands of people, once you get in so much, it feels so good and so much good stuff happens in there that it becomes easy to keep your practice going. It's kind of just like breaking that seal. Do you feel like there's an element of discipline that, is it more discipline, devotion, commitment? You know, I, I hesitate with discipline because I feel, um, that goes more into the camp of when I'm like at a party and I'm like, oh, I teach meditation. People are like, I can't meditate. And I'm like, why? They're like, I can't stop thinking or I can't pay attention to my breath. It's like that discipline evokes that style of meditation, which, you know, sometimes I, I, I just, you know, want to get a little space from because it's so 
different from the work that we're doing. Um, so I, I don't think discipline, but for me, I would like to see people get to the point where for me, my opportunities um, for contemplation that are sprinkled throughout my day are like delicious, magically potent mini breaks, little vacations within the day for lack of a better way to describe them. And I, I always meditate in the morning, but if I can sneak in, sometimes between like around 4 p.m., I can get a little lay down and I can listen to something on headphones. Like that's delicious to me. And I always feel better after I do it than when I started. So that's, it would almost be like um, Mary Oliver, who's a wonderful American poet, but she would talk about um, romancing inspiration, right? Like your creative muse is Juliet and you have to be Romeo and you have to draw her out onto the balcony with your devotion, you know, right? So I would like that model. It's like, I love my inner realms. I love being in there. I love the access to what I have available to me there. And also I've seen through practice over when I come out, my life, my real life, my daily logical mind life is better. So that's more the vibe. I would like you to fall in love or be romanced by your meditation practice, by your inner work practice. I would love it to be more in that framework. So beautiful. There's enough stuff on like the dry chore list. Like let's lean into, um, you know, our inner life being robust and our inner life being um, not only a refuge, but a place where we can work some high magic, not only for ourselves, but for the good of the collective. It's audacious to live this way. It is audacious. It is audacious. And that is what is so spectacular about the time that we are living in. It's like, hey, if you ever wanted to learn how to be more magical, I'd say this is a time. Um, I'd say having an inner life is highly indicated right now. Having um, places within you where you can go to optimize yourself. And, and, and also, you know, again, I, the healing, healing can feel delicious. Either whether you're the healer or someone else. That energy, I feel like, is being called onto planet Earth in an unprecedented quantity. Agreed. Totally. How do you keep yourself in this mindset? Like, what, what gets you excited every day? How do you stay inspired? So for me, it really is like what gets carried in and out from the inner and the outer. I have, at this point, at 46, I have a really a busy interaction between my inner life and my outer. So if I have an outer life problem, I often can find the solution in the inner life. If I have an inner life problem, it often, you know, there's, there's a relationship that, there. And I find people, I find the world that we live in, I find life itself, the, the blessing of even being here at all to experience any of this, um, fascinating. And you know, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the game of life and how to play it, which is a very, very old book by Florence Scovel Shin. There's so much in that idea that really gets me going. And the idea being, and this is kind of going full circle to where we started, the idea being that living, if we come to earth to learn things, master things, and it's, it's like Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. Living, if you can look at it as a game, a game with high stakes at times, and all I'm not, I don't want to discount anybody's anything. But what I'm saying is, it's a very powerful position to put yourself in, to perceive living and life itself, this opportunity of being here as a game, or even as a, a play or a movie, um, or even a video game, where you're able to watch yourself as a heroine or hero, and there's a lot of interesting things that can happen when you have that kind of zoomed out perspective. And I, I think it's very interesting being alive. Even now, as hard, even when things are very, very hard, you know, something else I feel like your audience is probably already knows, but, you know, even 
that joy is happy is different than happiness. Even in the midst of very, very hard times, joy is there. It's almost like the enlightenment again, right? It's shining and beaming itself towards you, but there may be some things in between you blocking the way. So we remove those things, even in the, you know, even if you've ever been next to someone as they passed on as I have, that even in that kind of moment, there is some strange, bittersweet joy that we are alive at all to experience it. And if you take that to, you know, life as a game and how to play it, there's some very interesting things that can happen there. So much about integration. It, it takes great skill or a combination of skill and I think a really open heart to be able to like what you, when you're saying that you're kind of, you're, you're constantly going in and out with your own practice. And sometimes when I look around, I notice that people have a lot of information. They have a lot of intelligence. They have a great intellect, but they don't really know how to turn all that wisdom into joy. And, and that's so interesting because joy is always present it's always available it's always unconditionally beaming towards you and we also have to give ourselves a little bit of a break because the western world that we live in has told you over and over again that if you control, if you plan, if you, you know, are logical enough, if you are, you know, disciplined enough, if you are determined, if you build well, then you will get these good things later. And so that's been trained into all of us. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is, whatever is going on, even in the depth of some great grief or sadness, if you do lay down on the floor and just surrender, your, your emotions will pass through. And once they flow through, what's going to be left at the core of you is this strange, I know the word joy can, is lost its teeth somehow, but, but is, is the joy that is your birthright? It's a natural joy. It's a natural joy. And it's, it's I, another way I like to describe it is, is um, happy for no reason, right? So happiness is like, I won this thing. So we're having a party and blah, but this is something different. This is something that is in your ineradicable core, right? It, it is part of, of the life force that is within you. And uh, yeah. About two years ago, I had a really serious accident and I broke my leg in a couple places and you know tore a major ligament, um, dislocated my ankle and had to have surgery. Ugh. And I was in, you know, just, extreme pain and it was a very uncomfortable long long journey through that and I've written about it quite a bit and I'm writing another book and I'm writing about it in the book but what I am writing about and what I remember about it is that during that accident during the worst parts of the healing and recovery is when I actually felt some of the most joy I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. The wound is where the light gets in, right? That's roomy, I believe, right? If, and, and that's an, another interesting thing about this time that we're living in. If everything was just kind of like, okay, we would be skating by on the surface and everything that was under the table would still be under the table. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm sure everyone listening can think of a moment in their own lives where things, where they were in pain or things were very drastically hard on the physical body and even the ego. And yet there was a profound joy at simply being alive. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, right? I mean- it, it's, it's magnificent. And it's also that most of the people that I've talked to during the pandemic have in, in my line of work have shared that they have found this to be a time to open up to something new that they've been waiting to do for a really long time. And now they're just, whether by force or not, they're doing it. They're making- just wait till we get to have these next three or four years of epic healing, epic healing, healing in 
in our relationship with nature, healing in our relationships with each other, healing with our relationships with ourselves, our inner life, our VIPs. I mean, the we could come out on the other side of this like in a in a way more joyous world, in a world where joy is way more accessible because more people are whole and healed. I love it so much. So tell us about your books and your beautiful website, which by the way is imbued with just this gorgeous art and collage. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's it's actually an experience in and of itself just to go to your website. My idea for the website was that it would be like a candy store. You know, when you're a little kid and you go to one of those candy stores where you get the plastic bag and you have the scoops and you can scoop out all the different candies, all different colors. So that was kind of the vision. It's like a candy store, but it's mine candy instead of, uh, you know, uh, uh, regular candy, sugar candy. (laughs) And um, basically there's a membership area where you can listen to everything on the site. And I did that in 2017 because I really realized that like, it's so fun to come to meditations in real life. It's a little bit like an occasion event, a party, but you and I both know that little bits of daily practice are going to add up to even more than what you can experience in one, you know, mystical, magical hour with a group, right? The group energy is wonderful. It does pump all, all of the, the experience up. Um, and I, I really miss doing live stuff. Um, and then the books I wrote for the same reason, they are a lot of them versions of recorded meditations from the site. And then also, especially dream world and the field, they're more like pep talks where I'm trying to help people get fired up about their imagination the power of a healthy imagination, the power of a good relationship with your imagination, and really motivating people, ideally, to jump in with both feet. Like, why not? Let's do it. Let's go. So unique the way you've blended nature, storytelling, art, imagination, and meditation. Thank you. That's like, that should be my bio first sentence period. I'm going to, I'm going to write that down. (laughs) That's all the delicious stuff to me. And really, you know, especially um, remembering that like all of us, little human beings, all of us earthlings, right? We're all riding around on the same blue, blue, green planet, right? And there's lots of good each one of us can bring to the collective, lots. And you don't need it to look a certain way on Instagram or to look like meditation. You have to explain your meditation practice to anybody else. If your meditation is listening to a three minute piece of music every morning, A plus, you have my permission. That's perfect, right? Like it doesn't have to look like it to other people. And you also don't have to explain anything that you experience in meditation to anyone else. And often that can kind of degrade the insight. Mm. Jessica, you just have such a great energy and, and loving presence. Uh, it's this really, is, such a is, thank you. I, this is my favorite type of conversation. So you're really getting me at my best. <laughs> I'm definitely having you back again. I would love that. You know, I just want to ask you one more thing before we uh, end our time together today, which is as a teacher, really, what gives you meaning the most as a teacher? As a teacher, 100%, it is when someone walks up to me and gives me a hug and says, X, Y, Z just happened. And then the next person comes up and is like, or, you know, people write me emails all the time. I get the most amazing messages from people this happened in meditation, then this happened in real life, then I did this meditation and now blah. That, the, the amazing, infinite, multi-layered magic that people are. I mean, people, what can happen in the inside of a person is fascinating, completely lights me up. And I 
especially like those moments when something alchemical has happened, which is my word for when something has changed. So within the 20 minute meditation, when you started, things were one way in this world, in the real world. And when you finish, something has changed and ideally beneficially, right? Something has been made better by your time spent there. It's so amazing how you bring this this magical realm right down to a practical level. I'm very practical, actually. It's funny because I, I know I, I present a little hippie, a little airy-fairy, a little new age, but actually at my core, I am highly disciplined. I am highly determined. I'm a hard charger. Like I carved this little tiny business out of nothing, like out of my imagination, literally. Um, and you have to have those more left brain attributes to do that. Um, and it's also why I'm sensitive to this need of balancing within each of us, right? These, these different powers, right? The power to decide, the power to make this thing happen, balanced with the power to like open my awareness to something that previously, even yesterday, I couldn't even imagine to let that come in and let that not only benefit my life, but benefit the collective. But the reason I came to meditation, honestly, is because I am more of a type A person. I do tend more towards anxiety or work obsession and those kinds of things. And so that's, you know, our, our, our strengths or our weakness, you know, my, my wound, that wound of like being so intense in that way caused me to seek out other modes of being. And then now those two are in that dance, that beautiful dance where I mean, if I just meditated and didn't have the discipline to come out and write it down and then record it and edit it and et cetera, then I wouldn't have uh, much effect on the collective. It's just so brilliant because it, it, it's hard being an entrepreneur too. I mean, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're not only you're teaching, you know, this really beautiful stuff from the heart, but then you've also got to figure out how to get it out to your audience and it's a daily effort. And you're a Virgo, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so and I'm a Capricorn moon. So I'm, I'm, you know. You're good to go. I'm something. Yes. Get out of my way if I'm going someplace. <laughs> oh. I'm Pisces rising. So that's where all the, that's where all of the, you know, dreaminess and the imagination comes in. It's a great combination. I mean, we all get astrologically what we get, right? I mean, it's like, you better figure out what you are and then make the most of it. <laughs> well, I just had one of the most amazing sessions with, I don't even know if she's an astro just a, she's not just an astrology reader, but she basically really helped me understand how my Libra sun and my Scorpio moon are really always having an argument. Mm -hmm. So my Libra sun wants everything to be peace, so pathetic, yep. fairness, freedom. And my Scorpio moon, she said, it's like a tiger with a bloody mouth. Mm -hmm. And it was just such an interesting metaphor. And the way that she explained how these two forces within me are constantly at play. And that brings us right back to tweaking the dials. You could literally, in your mind, in, in 30 seconds, you could see a dial with the, the power tiger with like, right? Sometimes we want power tiger dialed up, right? And then sometimes it's like, uh, I think in this situation, a little grace and just like, you know, let's everybody get along. So now you dial up that Libra sun. So again, this shows us how when we are, I, and also what she did also relates to our conversation because she took something that was operating and directing your life from under the table and she brought it on top of the table so you could have a, a symbol or metaphor for it so you could see it. So we really have, you know. Uh, the language, languaging of these modalities and these wisdom traditions is so key to how we absorb it. And I think that's how when you came to me as a teacher, it was the way that you presented it. 
Well, because we're ready for a, a new way, right? And, and this, this is before even this year happened or anything like that. But I started teaching in my backyard in 2011. And like we've already talked about, like when people say like, oh, I love your meditations or whatever, I'm, I'm quick to deflect because A, the meditation was given to me by someone other than me. And also anything that benefits you or that you find in a meditation, because we've already talked about 50 people hear the same set of words, they all experience something different. So whatever, however that meditation benefited you is also I wanna hold up a mirror and be like, actually you, a part of you really work something out with that meditation. It's less about me. Yeah, I just wanna say that like, oh my gosh, like we, even when I was doing this in 2011, 2012, it was very clear to me that we are householders, right? In, in Buddhist terms, meaning that I'm not a monk. I don't live on a mountain. I have a dog, I have a kid, I have a da 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 da, -da. So the practices that are appropriate for monks cannot be just plonked on top of me in this life that I'm living in the modern Western world. I have more things to do in a day than just sweep the floor, sit down and meditate, right? <laughs> like, and that's fair and that's, that's reality. And yet, just because I am a householder doesn't mean that I should not have access to all of this fantastic power, really. And also experiences of grace and joy and release and all of those other things. So yeah, so I, I'm, I'm all about a new way. And you are redefining it. And many of us are. Oh, and you. Yes, I feel that way. I feel like there's so much uh, sort of male tradition mm -hmm. in these particular kinds of teachings that we're in that are sort of being slightly restructured, dismantled, whatever word you want. Yeah, they're, they're, the, the parts that don't fit anymore, I almost feel like are just falling away of their own weight. Again, more of a process of undoing than doing. Oh, gosh, I'm going to have to have you back on. I would love that. I'll come talk with you anytime if people want to ask questions or they're like, well, wait, what about this? Well, that would be wonderful. And I think next time we're going to have to talk a little bit more about astrology and how that influences your work. I would love to. Okay. Again, I'm not an astrologer. I'm like a, I'm like a, I'm a amateur, but for 20 years. <laughs> But you use astrology in all of your uh, teachings. I do. I have, um, I have written a, a meditation for every single astrological sign. I've written a meditation for each of the seven energetic centers in the body. Sometimes people call them chakras. Uh, I, I, again, wonderful symbolic structures and constructs for us to develop our own inner understanding. Your gifts are felt by me and many, many, many others. I just know it. And I will include in the show notes how to find you, how to find out more about you. We'll have links to your website, information about your meditations, your books, all the goodies. And, and make sure that everybody knows that I have a free page on my website, which is no strings attached because really meditating is free. I mean, I have to eat and like, you know, have a house and whatever, but like I always, every month the free content changes, it's robust. You could just use the free stuff on the site and you would be totally taken care of. Um, so I just want people to understand that if 2020 has been destabilizing economically for you, you're covered. You That's gotcha. very generous. Thank you. Yeah, but doesn't that make sense? Yes. And I'll tell you as an entrepreneur, I, the more generous I am, the more generous people are with me. Yeah. And it just, it, it's like the idea of flow and what feels badass and boss a lot <laughs> of times is creating an amazing free page for people every month with many, many different multi meditations and kind of my logic of why I'm presenting those to you right now. And it gives you joy. It and when you're joy. in your joy, then you're good. Absolutely. And then also, you know, it's not happening to me right now, but I have had, I'm a real person. Like I know what it feels like to not have money to have the thing that you think that would help you. I know what that feels like. 
and I'm in a position where members, the, the, the streamers on my site, they support me enough that I can keep the site ad free, that I can keep making content and that I can offer content easily for free to people who need it. I also give free annual memberships to um, black indigenous people of color, LGBTQ and single mothers. Because again, the people who can pay the 20, it's less than a quarter a day. So yeah. the people who can do a quarter a day, they support the people who right now can't. Right, and, and, and we have that dance, that interplay again. We'll definitely include that in the show notes. Good, good. That's yes. really wonderful. So hard I to- I love talking with you. I feel like we could talk for <laughs> 10 hours. <laughs> I don't know how great that would be for everyone listening, but- <laughs> I think everyone listening is gonna love this episode. So again, thank you so much. This was just an honor to be with you today. Thank you, Jessica. Absolutely. Right back at you. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a great interview with Jessica. We just really had such a great conversation. If you'd like to follow up with her work and download some of her gorgeous meditations, many of them are free. You can go to youaremagicla.com. That's Jessica Snow, youaremagicla.com. She has beautiful books that you can order from her website and her crystal meditations are really just they're so full of nature and life and mysticism and they're especially in these times we're in right now I find them to be really nourishing so I hope you can check them out thanks again for being here see you next time